Welcome to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm your host, Emily Trenum. Memphis Metropolis is all about our city as an urban place, including its neighborhoods, buildings, pathways, and parks, as well as the people who shape it. Join us each week as community leaders and commentators talk with me about our shared built environment. Everybody, welcome back to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM, and I'm Emily Trenum. I'm the Memphis Metropolis host. And this program, I'm talking to Diane Duke, who is Executive Director of Friends for All, um, which is a long-time Memphis organization, but a new name and a fancy new world headquarters that we're going to be talking about. And then Chooch Pickard, who is with A2H. A2H architects and um, was the architect on the project. So welcome you guys. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So um, so there's so much to talk about um, but let's just start off with Friends for All because of course I've known about the organization for a long time. It was called Friends for Life for many years and um, so so Diane talk about what Friends for All does and, what, and, when, and then um, sounds like with this move to a new building, you're expanding your programs, and we'll talk about that, but just what's the, what's the history of the organization and the mission, um, and then and then we can talk a little about the name change. Well, um, we've been around since 1985, and originally when Friends for All, well, Friends for Life started, um, it started as a group of friends helping their friends die with dignity because they had HIV AIDS. And fast forward to today, you don't have to, it's not a death sentence anymore. So um, we are working, our new mission, our mission now is to help people who live with HIV live happy, healthy lives and also to prevent the spread of HIV. So what are the different, um, what are the different, I mean, I just had a tour of your new building and, you know, I had no idea you you provided so many services. So, um so what are, I guess, I guess just talk about some of those, um, and is there, um, I guess is there, you know, for a long time, you know, back in the 80s, you know, people associated, people that had HIV as, you know, gay men or drug abusers, it seems like it's a much more, touches, reaches in a much more, a much broader part of the community now. So if you're comfortable, I'm interested in hearing just a bit, like what kind of, you know, who are the people that you mm-hmm. serve? Well, HIV doesn't discriminate, so you, you know anybody can contract HIV. However, um, it's disproportionately um, for black and brown Americans, and um, we're finding that that has a lot to do with you know, levels of poverty, um, education, um, lack of um, housing, lack of food insecurities, um, health disparities, so all of the, the plagues actually that are affecting our country really are confounded into um, what lays the groundwork for somebody contracting HIV. And um, what we're realizing is that HIV is almost a symptom of these social determinants of health. And so as we've been working for many, many, many years to fight stigma, to try to um, help folks with HIV live long and have happy lives. And, and we are succeeding with that, but spreading 
preventing the spread of HIV and new transmissions is where we've been struggling. And so I think um, what we had to do is take a step back and look at why is Memphis number two in the nation? Why do we continue to have these high rates of new transmission? And we realized that we needed to look at those social determinants of health, food insecurity, um, housing, um, poverty, all the things that I spoke of. Well, and lack of access to health care. I mean, just, I'm sure you saw there was an article in the New York Times today about a huge spike in babies born with syphilis Mm -hmm. and completely tied to people, you know, people not getting... People not getting any prenatal services, or people, or if you had them, they didn't get screened, or if they got screened, they didn't get treated, and because public health, the resources of public health have been have been cut, and I'm sh- I'm sure that's some of the same patterns you see. Oh yes, but for and, longer. You know, this is news, yeah, but for longer. This has been this has been happening for a long time in Memphis, and, and we have a, a high rate of people who are uninsured or underinsured here, and so. Getting healthcare is a, is a big deal, and even just getting to healthcare, um, transportation is a real issue for a lot of our folks too. So, our goal in this new building is to become a one stop shop for folks, for people living with HIV, and also for people who who have those struggles with the social drivers of health that that we spoke of earlier. And so, that's what we'll be doing in this building. Um, everything from um, behavioral health services to our full service clinic. Um, we'll have housing. Um, being able to link people to housing. Um, we'll be able to provide food bags for folks, um, teaching kitchen, a commercial kitchen here, a community health room. So there's just a, it's a huge, um, we'll have a pharmacy, we'll have labs. So it'll be a one-stop shop for folks here. And so what are those services um, or the programs you mentioned, what are they new that you're now, now you're able to provide? I'm assuming like maybe the the teaching kitchen and um, are there because is this this is a bigger facility than what much you bigger. were before? We were sixteen thousand square feet. This is forty thousand square feet. Okay, so we are much bigger. So right now we're sitting in a room that's um, one of our counseling rooms, but it's a group counseling room. We had we had one office and uh, one practitioner before. Now we have an entire wing that's going to be around behavioral health, from nutrition therapy to um, mental health services to addiction services. So this this program right here is expanding. We have, we've expanded our housing in that we have more staff who are located upstairs and can work with people to find apartments around the Memphis area. We lease the apartments and sublease them to, to folks in the in the area, people with housing insecurity. Does Friends for All have own and operate its own housing? We had two apartment complexes that we sold. Um, that we had those when people would not rent to people who are HIV positive. That's not the case anymore. We have you know a long list of, of folks who are um, leasing to our organization, and um, we have we're able to house people. So tell so talk to me about the name. I love the new name, but um, was it was it something you were thinking about anyway? And with the new headquarters, it just seemed like the right time. Well, we are, you know, as, as I said, we, decide, we had to take a step back and look at what we were doing and see how we can change the course of HIV in, in our area, how we can be a part of that. We've got a lot of coalition partners who are working with us. But um, realizing that defining somebody by their HIV status, is, it, it just builds stigma. So what this building is about is not fighting stigma. It's about lifting up people's dignity. So when you walk through the door, you're not defined as, as to whether you're HIV positive or negative, 
you know, what, what are your needs is what we're asking folks. If you're HIV positive, there's a lot of things that we can help you with to make sure that you get on your medication, you stay on your medication, you have transportation to your medical doctors, um, your viral load stays low, so low that you can't trans, transmit the infection to somebody else. So these are all things that we can do for people who are HIV positive, but also help with those other social drivers and, you know, help them get to their doctors, help their diabetes or whatever it is. And, and soon, hopefully by the end of next year, we'll have a full-service um, clinic, health clinic here where we'll be able to provide primary care. Oh, really? That's, yeah. that's fantastic. Yeah. I'm sure that's, I'm sure that's, I mean, it's, um, you know, so many people suffer from lack of access to health care. One of the lack of access to, and then also a lot of our folks are nervous about coming in and being judged by people. This is, you know, this is a stigma-free, judge-free work environment, and uh, for our clients as well. So, again, this building is about lifting up people's dignity and meeting them where they are. So, um, while we support our our partners in the health community, but a lot of them are faith-based, and people, some people, are intimidated by that. Yeah, well, not everybody wants to embrace a faith-based approach. I totally get that. So, well, let's talk about the building. I'm sure as we get into it, we'll talk more about the different programs. So, um, so the building is at 1548 Poplar, and it's a building that right at Poplar near Stonewall, and it's a building that pe- most a lot of people in the Midtown downtown area drive by every day. It's a, I think it's 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 a fantastic location. And, but also, it's a building that has some history. I actually, when I had the tour, was, was just really dying to have the tour because I used to, worked in this building for many, many years. But even when um, I worked here, um, people would add that the building was called the Memphis Leadership Foundation building when I worked here. And of course, that's how a lot of people know it. But when I told people about it, they, people who were from Memphis, they'd say, oh, the old Baptist Brotherhood building. And so, so Chooch, what do you know about the history of the building when it was built? And um, and I don't know if the Baptist Brotherhood, um, if they if they built it or there was someone else. Do you know anything about? Well, yes, um, and it's kind of interesting. And, and you look at the history even before the Baptist Brotherhood might explain why the Baptist Brotherhood owned this property. <clears throat> so um, a very infamous woman named Georgia Tan had her orphanage here. And she oh, was... I forgot about that. Busted in the what, 20s or 30s, um, basically selling babies. Joan Crawford got her twins from here. Um, a lot of... I, we, we actually did... There's a great Lifetime movie that Diane and I just watched. <laughs> a Lifetime movie. A Lifetime movie. About Georgia with, Tan. Yes. Barry uh, Tyler Morris in it. Yes. <laughs> well, then you know it's good. I love yes, it. Yes, it's great, but um, you know, she she actually passed away before she did any time. Um, but I think that the property had a stigma to it. So she, so this was not she wasn't in this building. She there there were a couple two to three houses on this entire site, and we're not sure exactly which spot it was on. Okay, but in 1956, the um, Baptist Brotherhood. <clears throat> built actually the section we're sitting in now was a very small building here that was attached to a four square house to the east and then in 1957 they expanded north um, a little bit and then in 1959 they tore down the four square house next to there and enclosed 
this building into kind of a U-shape. And so if you walk into the lobby, you see all those windows up high. That was the exterior of the building at one time. Well, and, and it, I mean, well, it's hot, so people who are, live in Midtown, you know, it's, it's in the Evergreen District, but it's immediately adjacent to Williamson Park, which is a neighborhood park in Evergreen. And we'll talk, maybe we'll talk a little bit about more um, that in a minute, but the, but was the, when the Baptist Brotherhood, was that, was the park there then? Do you know? I assume it was, but I'm really not sure. Because, you know, it's, it's, it's Williamson Park is on Williamson Street. Right. Uh, which is in between Stonewall and Villette, um, right next to the building. Um, I don't know the history of that park, but I, I think it's a really interesting neighborhood because of the way the houses back up from Stonewall and from Willette, I think two developments kind of pushed together and there was a leftover space in the middle. There wasn't enough room for houses that wouldn't face the back of other houses. So now the back of the houses face the park, which I well, think from a nice an urban amen- design standpoint... Well, it's it, it nice, works. but also it's a nice amenity if you work in the building. Mm-hmm. I always yeah. thought that people go out and walk or if there's a picnic table, have lunch. And so there aren't many really in Memphis. I mean, we do have a lot of parks. There aren't that many people who have offices that are adjacent to a really nice green space. Yeah, and, and so I didn't get to the next addition. There's actually um, five pieces to this building over the years. So there was a piece that enclosed that U-shaped courtyard in 1960, and then they were roofed over it and it became the two-story atrium space, and they're now... But that 1960 space is a three-story building, and the offices up there look over the park, and you feel like you're in a treehouse up there. Yeah. It's really, really beautiful. Well, and I don't know um, much about the Baptist Brotherhood, but a friend of mine's father used to work in the print shop, and she said it was an entity that sort of provided a lot of back office support to Baptist churches in a particular region. Like, they printed their their brochures and um, that kind of thing. So the, um, so, and then, you know, Memphis Leadership Foundation had a bunch of different ministries here. A lot of nonprofits had offices, but Diane, what, it seems like it was perfect for you, but when you were looking for, when you were looking to move, you probably looked at a bunch of places. What made this? <laughs> like you don't even know. Chooch is laughing because he bless his heart. He went to every one of those buildings with me to give me some advice on you know what would work and what wouldn't work, and you know what would the cost, you know estimate of cost be for something like that. Just kind of ballpark it for me because I had no idea. I probably looked at every old church and old old school in this town so we looked you know part of it was finding the right location that clients would have access to well it's right on the you know it's on the busiest uh, bus line and maybe a quarter mile from our old building too which makes it wonderful you know we looked you know down on park in in a vacant church we looked at highland heights methodist church we looked at Carnes elementary we looked at um, a printing building on MLK. We, oh, yeah. we were we were everywhere, and when when we this building wasn't even for sale. No, I we had just we just left a meeting from Carnes, and I was frustrated because it had gotten postponed again. And through COVID, we continued to grow, and we just didn't have enough space to put our staff in. And so, I drove by and called my real estate agent and said, "Call this guy and see if he'll sell." He said, oh, no, he's not going to sell. He never sells any of his properties. I don't care. Call him anyway. Well, you know, it's now that I've had the tour, it seems perfect. It's perfect it, for us. It, it was. It was fate to 
the the disappointments we had in some other buildings in Carnes was one of those because that neighborhood I, I think really needs a good anchor there and it was so close to the medical district that it really would have worked really well for yeah. us. But, but it was vis- so big. It I was really big. Glad. But also the visibility wasn't there. It wasn't there. And no. Carnes so the, Elementary, the one in North it's in North Memphis, right? Um, next to the medical district, okay. off of yeah. Forest and, it, and North Parkway. Okay. It just would have been harder for our clients to get to yeah. as well. And well, this is so, um, yes, it, this couldn't be more convenient. Yeah. Plus, it's just like, I mean, I, I feel like sometimes social service organizations and maybe some that deal with the stigmatized population, they are, aren't always in, like, really nice neighborhoods. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this is a really nice neighborhood. Well, one of the things, too, is, you know, when I keep talking about dignity, it's, we wanted folks to walk in, and somebody who walks into this building, somebody would walk in who has six-figure salary would walk into a building like this and get care. So it doesn't matter what your socioeconomic status is. You deserve to be treated and, and you know, treated with respect in an environment that... Yeah, you, you don't know, have to go to a rundown. No. Yeah, and, and, and frankly, you don't know who on Stonewall might be HIV positive. Right, well, in the of course. Right next to the well, no, of it, course. But, it, but it's about... It's equity. about that dignity equity. and equity and that everybody should walk in this building and feel special. And that old building looked like a rundown health department that was not in a, on a good street. It's, oh. That area will eventually come back and, yeah. and be great. But right now, just, the building didn't work for them. No, it didn't. And well, that was just, that was, it was small, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was never in that building, but I drove by it all the time. There was no real presence on the street, and the presence here... I think we've multiplied from mm-hmm. what it was. This is an amazing set of mid-century additions in here, and it really gave us an amazing palette to kind of add to the coolness of the building yeah. with some other more modern, neat things, but but preserve a lot of those those cool elements in the building. So, so true. Um, so I mean, I, as I said, I worked in this building for many years, and, you know, it was had a lot of deferred maintenance that's the polite way of saying it and um and you know of course organizations um don't always have money i think people also a lot of times organizations they want to put their money in the people and the programs and don't and sometimes the the facilities but as a tenant it was it was challenging but it was a great location and um, but but there must have been I mean I, I, you you um, you know the the framework is similar but there must have been challenges to um, I feel like you might have had to some of it had to take it down to the studs because it was so oh, old and, and then even beyond most of the office walls were twelve by twelve terracotta block that when we started kind of doing demo we we, we wanted to come in and do minimal removal of existing things just because that's the the you know the more sustainable way to do it and once we started tearing down some of those walls it's unreinforced terracotta masonry so they came crumbling down (laughs) as soon as we took the air-conditioned fence out they came crumbling down there yeah there were things holding those walls together that (laughs) that shouldn't have that yeah (laughs) and you know bricks hanging in midair where they cut through a wall and added on a building, um, a lot of things like that were challenging. Well, some of those additions are wonky. 
They are, and you're going and, down and then up and then down and then up. Well, so, some of that's so still there. <laughs> a little bit's still there, but like if you recall back in the day, it was kind of a maze, and, and it was very easy to get lost and not know where you were in the building. And we are going to do a little more with wayfinding because it's still mm-hmm. there's times I'll walk down and I'm like, am I on the east side oh, or the south yeah. side? You know, like it's, we don't think about wayfinding. Um, as needed in a building, but you probably do, especially if it's a building that's horizontal and not, if you're walking in as an elevator bank, you know, your yeah. doctor is on 1302, yeah. you know, there's that. But if yeah. you, but a building like this, you're not necessarily going to know. The first floor doesn't match the second floor, doesn't match the third floor. Right. So there's no familiarity. And, and so the depart, the way the departments are set up, I think we'll, we'll get to that point yeah. where we're able to um, have a little better wayfinding in here. But it's, 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 been incredibly simplified from what it was yes. so it's that's so true um but it's it's an amazing building so um so if you're just joining us you're listening to memphis metropolis and wyxr 91.7 fm and i'm talking to diane duke from for friends from friends for all and Chuch Pickard from A2H architects got it right this time and we're talking about the new headquarters of friends for all in midtown memphis so, um, so even though we're on the radio, let's do a little tour. Um, and like, if if you go in the front door, let's just like turn to the right and talk about not so much the because there's administrative staff, but as you walk through the building, what are some of the different services that you can offer? So when you walk in and you turn right and you start walking down that hall, you'll be immediately you'll see the REC, which is our Resource and Education Center. It has computers, it has a television, it has sofa, um, it has a clothing closet. So it's a it's really a place where people can go. They can if they need to do studying or homework or um, job readiness. If they need to do a resume, we can help them out with that. Um, digital health literacy. So if you need to make your doctor's appointment online, people can can drop in. Yep. You can drop in. We can have, um, breakfast sandwiches that folks can have and some snacks in the afternoon. So that's just kind of a nice place to hang out. And especially for some of our folks, maybe in the heat or in the cold, it's a good place to be if they don't have some place to be during the day. Um, if you keep going down and around the corner, um, we have a washer and a dryer and a shower. So for folks who've come in and they haven't had a chance or don't have an opportunity, a place to take a shower, then our place, they can do that there. And, and we can, um, they, there are lockers there. They can wash their clothes or we can get them a new set of clothes if that's needed. Um, keep going around the corner. We've got a dance and exercise studio where people can do yoga. We'll have exercise classes there as well. Our whole idea is to be a one-stop shop for folks. Yeah, that's great. I, I loved that. I could see myself doing Zumba in there. <laughs> <laughs> and then going around the corner. Or line dancing. <laughs> further, that takes us to the back of the building, and you'll be right at the door where the back parking lot goes. And so that um, has been designed to be a really wonderful kind of reception, check-in place for if, when you're going to do any kind of event. Because right to your left is a, is a large community room with great AV and... Um, wonderful flooring and it's the first time we've been able to fit all of our staff into one room since I've been here. So plus there's a little outdoor area right like a little patio out there? Between the annex building and the main building. Okay. Yeah. So then um, going up to the you can go back through the the central area and go up to the second floor and then that's where a lot of our offices are back in our break room. We also have on the first floor a teaching kitchen 
and a commercial kitchen. So oh, that folks, yeah, and that's yeah. beautiful. So people can learn to prepare foods. We have food bags that we give them, and they're huge food bags, two or three bags, and they're like 40 pounds each. So people get a lot of food here, but sometimes they don't know how to cook it. So we've got frozen food, fresh food, canned food that we give to people. So our um, registered dietitian walks through classes so that they understand how to make them healthy and also how to make them last longer. Um, our commercial kitchen can help us. We do congregate meals a couple times a month where people can just come in and bring their friends and their family and have dinner. It's sometimes for our folks the only time they get to go out. Um, so that's kind of fun. We can prepare prepare that in our kitchen, or if we need to get it catered, we can do that as well. But then also um, you keep going around the corner, and we have a whole wing, which is, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, our behavioral health wing. It sounds like that's really expanded. It has, and it's really important. And this one, if you walk into this area, you'll notice it's different than the other areas. The rest, we've really embraced the, and I love this, uh, it was one of the, my, my battles that I fought was the concrete floors. We've got beautiful stained concrete fo- floors throughout. But for our mental health wing, we have a nice, um, it's carpeted, it's painted a little bit of a different color. The whole idea around that is just relaxation. We literally have a room that is no, nothing else but for if clients want to get in and get away from people, they can just go in and it's a relaxation room. But a lot of counseling rooms here are um, registered dietitians here and can meet with folks there too. Well, I was impressed by that in the tour was not only do you have that room for clients, but you also have private rooms for staff because I'm sure that these are not easy positions a lot of times and um, people need to decompress. So you have small areas that they can go. We have our staff are incredible. They are just dedicated. How many staff are there? Um, we're, We're... Finishing up, filling these positions, we'll have 67 people. Wow. And will they, is there room for all of them in the building? Um, so, no, not all of them are here. We have two other sites. We have the Haven in the corner. And so right now we have people over in those buildings. But once we get our clinic in, we'll probably have more than that in here, too. Okay. Um, so, so yeah, we have those rooms for them. And we, we know that the most important... Our most important asset are our people, and um, we want to make sure we take care of them. So we have a well, great break room. We have a great, um, great rooms for meditation, a, a room that is for nursing parents. So. Well, I'm sure continuity of staff, it must be incredibly important, because I'm sure you have longtime clients and who are used to coming and talking to Bob. Yes. And... <laughs> and um, and, I mean, people aren't going to stay in a job forever. There's turnover. But sure. I'm sure that's important in those relationships. So keeping, taking care of the employees is probably even more important than it would be in other, it in is. other situations. And COVID was really a, a tough time for everybody. And, you know, for our clients, we, when we had to shut down and couldn't have our clients, we, we started doing a lot of telehealth. But still, you know, it's, it's great to be back in the building it's, and our clients love this building. Well, this, well, I wanted to ask about that if you um, how the how the clients were um, how they got to or did they, were they engaged at all in saying what they I mean maybe just what their ideas were but also reacting to renderings or So we did a, we did a survey um, we worked with, I think it was the funding from the Cloud Foundation and we um we did a survey, and we and the idea in getting this building was really client focused, well, you know, and looking what what is it you know what is it how can we serve you better, 
And so a lot of questions. And I think we surveyed 800 people. Wow. Um, not just sending, we didn't just send out surveys, we called them okay. and interviewed them. And so it was a big project. And this building is the result of that. And, you know, what kinds of things do you want? How can we make it easier for you? And so definitely this behavioral health wing is a big piece of that. Um, you know, the, the teaching kitchen, the space, the wreck, and with all of the things that are there. So it's just um, it, people don't have a, an understanding, really. I think just you and I would just not have an understanding of what just to get here, what some folks have had to go through. Um, just even to get here. It may be a three hours on the bus. I may, bet. You know, and they may not have eaten in two days. And so the things that um, some of our folks, the barriers that they have, it's really nice to be able to provide them a, a place of solace. Well, plus it's beautiful. Yes. I mean, when you walk in, you're like, wow, this is beautiful. And uh, like you said, it's like going out to like, you know, West Clinic or some yeah. very fancy <laughs> medical facility. Um, I mean, that's how it should be, right? Yeah. Well, and durable. I mean, yeah. that's one of the things. We were really clear with Chooch. And I have to say, I'm just I'm going to do a little plug for him because this has been an absolute wonderful experience. He has been with us. I mean, he was with us before we even hired him. But he's been with us every step of the way. and if oh, there's a passion any, project for him. Oh, my gosh. It if is. anything is, you know, if there's any problems, he's the first one to step up and be talking to our contractors and everything. And so I just, it, and, and I also know his taste is impeccable. So I've right. had, well, that's I, true. It hasn't been hard for me to You don't have to out. worry about picking bad colors. No, yes. he's good. He's good. <laughs> he's, on, he's all over the there place. There have been a couple times when I said, well, what about this? And he's like, you don't want that, Diane. <laughs> okay, you know you're right. I can you're only right. imagine. Chooch is nothing but not opinionated, but but he does have impeccable taste. I agree with that. Well, and I have a passion for mid-century buildings. A lot of people know that with my uh, trying to save the Coliseum. So this building, to me, was really inspirational. And, And one of the things we haven't talked about is how many really cool... 1950s, 60s spaces were in here between the CEO office and the executive conference room and the whole third floor. But let's talk about that because we talked just talked about the first floor. But I was blown away by that because, of course, most of the building is very modern, as it should be. But then you go up to some of the offices and you've retained all kinds of really cool. Most people would be like, oh, that paneling's got to go. And you're like, oh. no, that's original to the building. So it's talk, very Mad Men up yes, there. So, so, talk, so talk about what you were able to and then why it was important to you to retain those things. Well, I mean, people think of wood paneling and they think of, you know, maybe a mobile home or something or, you know, or, or a, a den in the basement yeah something that you know we had in the 70s but this is like high-end office paneling with beautiful bookend um pattern built-in file cabinets built-in file cabinets um just really yes. really well done back in the day and it was very tired as you had mentioned before the building had a lot of different maintenance but it was one of the things that I came in and I said, we're not tearing out any of this paneling. <laughs> we need to restore it. And there were people who were like, I'm not, not going to be able to restore that. But we, I think it looks beautiful. And I'm, I'm very I'm a, proud I'm, of it. I'm super excited because I would say 75% of people redeveloping this building would not have retained that. And it's really great. It's beautiful. Well, my, my favorite room is the executive conference room, which you and I have spent a lot of time over the years in meetings. So t- talk about the, I mean, that room, first of all, it's got this crazy fireplace, but also 
you know more about this kind of thing than me. Like, it's got this big oval. Star Wars light. It's very, it's it's very, very it is very it's a, bad, man. It's, a, it's a, a plaster coved ceiling with, you know, that had old, old um, incandescent lights and neon lights in it. And we came in and took all the neon out and did tape light up in the coves and then rewired the old incandescents and put LED bulbs in, but then restored this plaster. But it's it used to hang from a 12 by 12 really horrible 1960s acoustic ceiling. And we ripped that out and exposed the structure and exposed the ductwork in there. And um, just kind of, it's this mixture of really cool mid-century with industrial raw... Um, but we we kept the, the this amazing boat shaped table that I don't even remember how long it is. It's huge. Um, yeah. Had it restored. Trip gave us the table when he sold us the building, which I was it, really appreciative. Well, when you think about it, you know the, the stuff that's original to the building. It's just really, um, yeah, it's worth keeping. It's really worth keeping. It and is. the third floor also oh. had a ton. I mean, so many people would have. I'm amazed that that wasn't painted, a lot of it, in the ensuing decades. But that third floor is all, I mean, that whole thing is like... So I'll say a lot of the second floor was painted. Like, we, when we came in, rooms that I hadn't realized that original paneling was in had been painted. And we didn't, we didn't keep any of those rooms. Um, you know, I, I think the other amazing thing, the, the building's very simple on the outside, um, but it was also very tired with the old windows, um, and not very inviting, so we completely replaced all the windows, took the window sills out, and put floor to ceiling windows in. And it's such a different experience in the building. You, the room we're sitting in now, I mean, we're right on Poplar, but it just feels amazing to to just have this kind of. You feel like you're outdoors, but you're inside. <laughs> and um, but it, well, and this and the we didn't really talk about this, but the facade of the building was dated but you've you know kept the integrity but updated that and that also looks great because uh, there's a new entrance and there's some new wheelchair access and yeah so so it was always difficult to get in the front of the building and if you were disabled you were you just have to be let in the back so a lot of people visited this building um you know how many times were we at community meetings that we came in the back door but when i used to come to see you you know, for, for work, I'd come and get buzzed in the front door. Yeah. And, but there was no way if I had been disabled to come in that front door. So we really... And the back was not particularly attractive. <laughs> it was just, it was really the back door. Yeah. <laughs> you, you walked into a very narrow hallway. It yeah. Was not and then there were stairs to the elevator. <laughs> but we won't even talk about that. <laughs> I ended up breaking my ankle like midway through all of our searches for buildings. And so I have, a, you know, and so I was on one of those scooters for months. And I have a real understanding of how important ramps are and... Um, I think everybody needs to go through that experience. <laughs> totally. Well, I inter- I interrupted the tour we started, but it seems like we hit on most of the main program areas, except let's talk about the annex, because there's a really wonky annex building. I don't even know. Of course, I know why Memphis Leadership Foundation used it, but I don't even, what was that building built for? Do you know? I mean, it had a loading dock on the back, so I assumed that might have been the printing facility for Baptist Brotherhood. Okay, it could so be. So it was added in the 1970, in 1970. 
And that's two big levels. It's almost like a warehouse. So, um, so Diane, talk about how you're going to be using that. So the downstairs part of that with the loading docks is going to be where our food pantry is. So downstairs we'll have food pantry um, on the side that is the west side of the building. And, um, and so I'm excited because we were able to add a walk-in fridge and walk-in freezer. So that's we're going to be able to expand our. So you food had a food pantry, pantry, but it's just going to be bigger. It'll be bigger, and we'll be able to, as you know, as we grow, expand and and serve more people, which I'm really excited about that. And plus, the way that the parking lot is, people can back right up to that area, and we just load the bags right into their car, which is going to make it really easy. We do our our food pantry by appointment, so you know you're not going to see long lines around the building or anything. Um, but it really makes it a good experience for our clients. And they, we have a waiting area in there so they can come in if they'd like to. So that's going to be critical for that. But um, if you come into the building from the east side, if you come to the east side of the building and park on the street or park behind and walk Willette, into the east guess, side, right? yeah, on Willette, and, um, that is going to be our clinic side. So you will be able to walk into that space and there will be a pharmacy right there. So we'll have a pharmacy downstairs. You can go up to an elevator. We add in an elevator. Um, you can go up the elevator and go to our clinic. So we're planning on having a 6,000-square-foot clinic, primary health care clinic. We'll have dental there. And that's a new service. So it's going to be completely new for us. We're, we're going to be doing some primary care out of um, the corner, which is our clinic over. We have a STI clinic over, an HIV testing clinic over on uh, Cooper. But we will we'll start doing some primary care out of there. But we're going to be, you know expand that and and hopefully by the end of next year we'll have a FQHC or a FQH federally qualified health center or look like um, by the end of next year. Yeah, I try to. Yeah, okay. I'm glad you explained that because I there's so much jargon on my show. <laughs> I have a bell that I ring when people use jargon. I didn't bring it, <laughs> so I'm glad you explained what that was. So um, so the. So that's yeah, that's that's really um, that's really great. You're going to be offering those services. So it seemed like this whole endeavor was expensive. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and the so what were the you know what were the kind of the the combination of funding sources just generally that went into it? I'm, I'm sure some of the programs you operate have you know some federal funding associated mm-hmm. with them, but uh, hopefully some deep-pocketed individuals helped bring so it over the finish line. We sold our building in our apartments, so that okay. was part of it. And, um, hi, my name's Diane, and if you want to have lunch with me, it costs you $50,000. So, <laughs> so that's what it's like. Right. I'm, I'm out raising funds like crazy. No, we have a very generous community, and so um, we've been working with GG&A, um, which is a company that does capital campaigns and so they they helped us with the feasibility study and with all of the stuff and get us started on it so we're we are in the throes of the of that capital campaign now our goal is 10 million dollars um, 10 million yeah okay and we will be um we'll be doing the official launch once we get a good portion of that because usually you do that with the capital campaign but um we, we're on our way with that we've got a lot of grants that we've got out there written um so our community has been great. We've got a matching grant that we're working on with um, the ACC Foundation. So they've got a million-dollar matching grant that we're um, working with right now. So, um, so we're doing it just the old-fashioned way. We sold our building to help pay for this building, and now 
we're you know working on the capital campaign to get the rest of those funds. Well, because I'm sure some of these program expansion, there's a cost associated with those as well. We've been doing capacity, and so the, the campaign that we're call, we're calling it the Dignity Campaign, as we're you know doing using this building and our programs to raise people's dignity. And so yeah, part of what we're earning is what we're getting is capacity building. So we do have some capacity building where. We're you know working on our our um, electronic medical records. We're um, working on expanding some of our programs and getting some um, revenue streams from some of the programs too, and looking at ways that we can do that um, with different kinds of government grants and government programs. I guess was there any are there any government incentives like tax credits or? Not really tax credits. We've, we've, we've We're across the street from the medical district. We've talked about some things, um, some unique financing situations, and I don't know that they've we're, panned out yet with energy efficiency. We've um, got some. Yeah. Well, usually there's these kind of projects. There's just so many funding sources that have to contribute That's to, exactly it, yes. So... And you know it's a it's a labor of love, but it's you know it's so worth it. Well, I'm just blown away by how beautiful it is, and very exciting. Your move to this these headquarters. I want every. I hope that yeah, I want to be invited to the grand opening, <laughs> so I can invite other people be, to come and see it. So, um, so Diane and two Joshua, what didn't? Well, first of all, Diane. If people want to have lunch with you for $50,000, <laughs> what I guess, should they go to the website and push the donate button? You have a new name, so what's the... So it's Friends what, for All. It's um, friendsforall.org for all is our website. Um, you can call you know call our main number and, and get hold of me there. And it's diane.duke at friendsforall.org. Okay. So that's my email. It's... Um, and yeah, just call and make an appointment with me. I would love to give anybody who wants to see the building a tour. Well, then what do you want people to know that I didn't ask you? I just think, um, I, you know, I think it's important for folks to understand, and I think people think that the HIV is, is solved. Right, like COVID. COVID it just, yeah, it's, it's gone. gone. <laughs> and, I, and, you know, there are a lot of things that contribute to people's health, and, I, and the fact that Memphis is number two in the nation of, new transmissions of HIV. A lot of people don't realize that, but it's something that can be changed. I had no this idea. Is, yeah, and this is this building and the programs that we're doing in this and the folks that we have here working to, to make that change. You know, it, it can happen, and I believe it will happen, but we need everybody's help. Do you reach, I mean, obviously there's no, the census doesn't capture people who are HIV positive, but do you serve, reach, or serve um, most of the population, do you have an awareness um, problem that people don't know about you, or do you think you serve most of the population? I think a lot of folks do know about us. Um, I think we're a, a best kept, kept secret for some. Um, we have a good coalition of, of partners here, and so I, you know, there's a, a number of us working on this. I think a lot of times uh, the, the problem is stigma in in Memphis. So know, that's still an issue. Oh, big time. And so we've just written a grant to work with um, some faith-based communities here. Um, and, you know, I think it's really important to get the churches involved. And we have a lot of, I have three pastors on my board. So I think it's really important that, you know, we, we bring the neighborhoods, the 
the pastors, you know, people, and start really talking about HIV and talking about it as a symptom of a larger issue and how, is, how can we as a community raise the health of our community as a whole. And that's what this is about. And I think, you know, we'll, we'll be a, I think we'll be a great pilot to see how that works for folks. Um, but if we don't do something different, we're just going to keep getting worse and worse. And so, you know, we work really hard, and so do our coalition partners, all of our, you know, the Hope Houses and Regional One and, and St. Jude. All of us are working really, really hard on making sure that HIV is, you know, reduced. And yet, well, it's better struggling. from the community from every perspective. And if you're one of those people that's, you know, Thinks, thinks the taxes are too high. I mean, there's a cost to providing. I always have that argument with people who, who are against, you know, universal health insurance. And I always say, like, I'm already paying anyway. <laughs> My tax dollars, when someone doesn't go to the doctor and get really sick and they go to the hospital, who is paying the taxpayers? And I'd like to pay for them to go to the doctor and get treatment. Right. Be better for them and cost me less. And it's such a complicated system. And that's the thing about being a one-stop shop. Because I've got to tell you, there are so many, with the government regulations, there's so many barriers that you have to overcome. So for us to be able to be, when somebody walks through the door and we tell them, you know, if we don't have that service, we're going to make sure we find it for them. And they get, we they can help, get, them. help them get qualified a lot but of yeah. times. And I think it's important to also talk about PEP and PrEP. And mm-hmm. actually, you hinted on being undetectable, but I, I think maybe many of Emily's listeners don't really understand the medical advances that have come that yeah. are a part of that. And so, so if you, um, it, with the medical advance in medication, you can, and if you're medical, if you stay in your medication and you go to your doctor's visits, it's very easy for you to be undetectable. Your viral load gets down so low that if you go in and get tested, you will show that negative. And if you're at that point, you're undetectable, even if you have HIV and you, you, it's not going to be cured, you will have it, you can't transmit that infection to somebody else. So we look at prevention, and PrEP and PEP are, it's medication. I, I liken it, it's the HIV drug like birth control. You take a pill every morning, it's 99% effective from you contracting HIV. And are the, um, and can everybody access it from a financial perspective for the we, most part? Yes, we offer it at our, at the corner, you can get it for free. So you, there's no reason why people can't get PrEP. And PEP is the kind of like the morning after pill. If you've had, if you've been exposed, if you believe you've been exposed to HIV, um, you can go in and get PEP within 72 hours and it will prevent you from, from contracting the infection. And I'll say even, even if you're a person of means and you go to your own doctor and want to be put on PrEP, they can get you on it. And they have um, copay um, uh, programs, the, the people who provide it, they can help. And, and it's completely free to whoever wants it. And, if, and, and that's important to get that word out there that, um, you know, that we can be a safer community by, by In a judgment-free zone, too. Well, that also goes back to the new name. It's like it's not a matter of, yeah, life. I mean, it's it's not a life-ending no. um, condition anymore. It doesn't anymore. have to be. It still is for some, though, and that's the sad part. There are still people who don't want to acknowledge that they have HIV. They go underground when they find out that they're HIV positive, and that's the sad part. We are here to help, and we can, and, it, it you know, they'll be fine. Oh. Or with the stigma, they're just not getting tested. And I think that's the bigger reason people are contracting because they're not getting tested and they want to ignore that they may be positive. 
and they may be on the down low, and yep. all of a sudden the girlfriend is yep. hence the outreach is, to is the churches. New, well, a and a lot of a lot of women um, do contract HIV and they don't even know it, and so we're really trying to have that message where everybody gets tested. So, Chooch, what about the building, the site, the project? Anything else we didn't talk about um, that you wanted to mention? We didn't really talk about the park, because Diane, you were telling me before we started recording, there's going to be an arboretum there, and that um, you're helping hydrate it. We love the the Evergreen Neighborhood Association. um, They're fabulous. It's been great to get to know our neighbors, and um, they're starting an arboretum in the park, which very excited about, but they have, they didn't have the water, so they asked if we could help out with the well, water. Well, this end could use some more trees. Yeah, and that's what's going to yeah. be happening. Yeah. And so there it will be an arboretum, and so we've agreed to help out with the water part of it. So okay. we can give that to them. Okay. I think the other part of the building that, that, that people, especially people that listen to your show, are very tied into the nonprofit community in Memphis. A lot of us know each other through all of those things and spent time in this building in the community room in the back. And one of the things that was important to me that I insisted was that we blow open that back hallway when you come in because it was not welcoming. And the idea is that that's a community room that um, Friends for All has, has been borrowing spaces from people for years, and so they want to give back to the community. So if you're a, a nonprofit organization that has a need for a large room, uh, definitely contact Diane. And I mean, I think, I think it was designed for that purpose, yeah. that, that it just never really worked well before in how you access that room um, but now it's completely different well and it's beautiful it's all equipped with state-of-the-art technology and um yeah and and then Tables there's a beautiful commercial kitchen yeah so um maybe you could have we're having special events here <laughs> we had one last weekend so right? it worked weddings bar mitzvahs oh yes <laughs> I don't know about that, but we'll see. <laughs> well, you got to look so, at all those revenue streams. That's true. That's true. <laughs> so, okay. So you've been listening to Memphis Metropolis and WYXR 91.7 FM. I've been talking to Diane Duke from Friends for All and Chooch Pickard from A2H Architects. We've been talking about the beautiful new headquarters for Friends for All at 1548 Poplar Avenue in Midtown. And thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks. It's been great. Thanks for having us. You've been listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Emily Trenum. Memphis Metropolis airs every Monday at 1, so please tune in again next week. You can listen to past programs on our program page at wyxr.org or on memphismetropolis.com. You can also follow us and send feedback on social media. Now, stay tuned for Memphis Undercover with Nancy.